0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 210. Uh, as we prepare to do another poem tonight, we have gotten to the next poem. And, you know, it's going to be some time before we do another poem after this. We're going to have a, a long, uh, prosy streak for a while. Um, But I'm looking forward to talking about Bilbo's song. Uh, First, a few announcements. Uh, One thing I wanted to announce, which is a a totally new thing, um, which is uh, a special session that we're doing next week. So I've talked to you guys uh, before about our Signum Academy Clubs program, our extracurricular program for kids, uh, which is really cool. And I've had some conversations with, uh, with homeschooling families, and I think that we could do a lot with clubs, with homeschooling, like with and for homeschooling families. I think that there's, there's a, potent, a a lot of really cool sort of potential fit between our Signum Academy programming and what we can do, not just in the clubs program that we already have, but in new things that we could like design and develop and do within and for homeschoolers. Um, so here's what we're going to do. So I'm going to do a kind of an open house. So... Um, This is, uh, you can find this announcement here on our webpage next Tuesday. So next Tuesday, a week from today, uh, on the, what's that going to be? The 7th uh, of December at 4 p.m. Eastern. We're going to do an open house designed for homeschooling families. And what I'd like to do, of course, I'll, Talk some about uh, our club's program, of course, um, you know, and the things that we do. But what I'm mostly really excited to do is just to hear from homeschoolers about what are sort of their their extracurricular and curricular needs and interests in the humanities, especially uh, in literature and languages. Languages, I feel, is a, a place where we can especially perhaps uh, help homeschoolers. So I'd love to just kind of hear from people and talk about that. So we're gonna we're gonna have a we're gonna have on interest session for anyone so i'd appreciate it if folks could spread the news or you know among uh, other homeschool families that you might know uh just to to join us we're i am that there will be Presence for all, mark you. Um, I am going to be giving away gifts uh, to the folks who come just to thank them for coming and for uh, uh, for talking with us and helping us uh, about that. Um, so, uh, if, again, if you know folks in the homeschool community, I would love to hear from folks and we would love to, to find ways in which we can really partner with the homeschool community more effectively that's what we're really hoping to do um so again next tuesday 4 p.m we're going to have this session uh you can see if again if you go to this page uh, and you find this page just by going to the signum you know the primary signum homepage. you scroll down a little bit and oh there it is in our upcoming events so you just click on here and um uh there's a, a zoom link to register for down there um so anyway, yeah, our club's programs go from third grade through uh high school, um, basically. Though heck, I'd be willing to talk about even with younger kids. Um, we have uh 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 yeah, we have uh a uh one of our faculty is a specialist in childhood literacy, actually loves working with teaching kids to read, so we might even be able to do some younger stuff uh, than that, potentially. But anyway, we'll see. We will see what happens. Again, it's going to be kind of an open discussion uh, to hear from people, see what you know how again how we can work this is one of the really fun things about signum programming is that we are at least at this point we're still small and flexible enough you know we have our clubs program and it's been really exciting and the you know the sections that we've been running have been have been really great my own son is involved in one and it's been really cool um but um uh, but you know we're not just kind of trying to push our our kind of pre-designed program. If we can find ways in which we can customize programs for uh, for families and you know for for homeschoolers, that would be great. We'd love to do that. So anyway, this is um, uh, this is what we're looking to do. So what you could do is to if you are a homeschooling family come and join me and talk to me. I'd love to talk with you uh, about this and see what we could figure out. And, uh, and of course, please do spread, uh, whether you can come yourself, please spread the word to as many homeschooling folks as you can. There should be some posts on our social media um, uh, outlets about this. I think tomorrow uh, we're going to do some posts about that. So that'll be something else that you can kind of share uh, and uh, uh, you know another tool you can use to, to tell folks about this. So... That is one thing that's happening next week that I wanted to make sure everybody knew about. The other there have been a couple other really fun things that have happened at Signum this week. Two kind of milestones: one public milestone, one uh, kind of uh, indoor milestone, which has been really fun, uh, sort of insider uh, milestone. Uh, and uh, the first is that uh, we have launched our uh, so, so our space program that I've been talking about now for uh, like a month and a half since the middle of October. Um, we just had our first sessions last night. Tonight is uh, day two of our uh, the first module. Of our space programs, it's been awesome. It's been really, really great. Um, we've had a, a marvelous response. Um, we uh, sold uh, actually last night. We sold our 111st token, uh, which was which was which was very cool. Um, so we've got like 56 different token holders. We've got more than 40 students uh, taking uh, our. Um, Taking our classes in the first uh, in this first month here in December, uh, and a bunch of others who are looking forward to more of our classes in January. We're going to be posting um, our um, uh, we're going to be posting our um, uh, our confirmed modules for January soon. That's going to happen in about a week on the seventh. We decided to make the seventh of the month or. Thereabouts, you know, maybe the next day if it's a Sunday or something like that, um, be the day that we're going to announce our, our our lists, our confirmed module list, and our candidate. You know, so our confirmed module list for January, which ones we're definitely running for January, and then our candidates for February, so uh, that token holders can can tell us which ones they want to do, so we can make sure to run the ones that the most people are interested in right away. Um, anyway, so we're going to be uh, we're going to be doing that. This, by the way, little reminder: if you do have tokens uh, uh, make sure you fill out your selection form so we know what you're interested in uh, for uh, for January um, anyway so it, it's just it's been awesome we've had a just a, a really lively crowd so far who has been involved in space and I just I urge you to check it out and uh, consider joining us I think we've had uh, a, a bunch of um, uh, a bunch of gift givers, uh, folks who have been giving away tokens of as gifts. I know I'm actually uh, going to be uh, I, I'm going to be here in this next week. I think getting some myself. My son found out that we're uh, going to. I gave him a little insider info, which is that uh, we are almost certainly going to be running our first ever anime module uh, in January, uh, and uh, uh, and he was like, I am all over that. So uh, anyway. It's going to be fun. So I just wanted to, um, uh, just wanted to. Remind you guys about that. Uh, again, our December modules are up and running, but our uh, January ones are coming soon. So I would—it's uh, not exactly insider trading, trading, trust I, I was just—I uh, was just trying to find out if he was going to be so I knew if I had to, uh, I had to get some tokens for him. Uh, <laughs> he's not getting any unfair treatment. He's just going to be a token holder like everybody else. Um, and there's still time. There's still time to. Uh, uh, to join in. No, much more. It's not going to be uh, a module on the Pokeverse. Actually, uh, it's going to be a Miyazaki module um, on uh, Miyazaki's films. It's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be very cool. Anyway, anyway, anyway. There's going to be uh, lots of stuff happening uh, in our space modules in January and uh, uh, December's already been uh, uh, been pretty cool. So. Anyhow, um, the last thing I just wanted to mention, uh, just because it's kind of fun and I've been thinking about a lot and wanted to share it with you, is that um, we had a a big internal moment at Signum this past week. Um, We have uh, Signum, as most of you know, um, has been... I was about to say operating on a shoestring, but of course, for most of our lives, we've kind of looked uh, longingly in the direction of shoestrings, (laughs) of course. Um, And uh, and so we have been running uh, our course registration and like billing and student records and everything, uh, you know, in some very... Creative um, homebrewed ways uh, a combination of various uh, 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 of various things uh, at Signum for a while just because like we could really never afford um, uh, a kind of you know the kind of systems that are out there there are very few of this kind of thing like a registration student record system um, they're all like targeted for huge universities and they're like, oh, yes, the price starts at a reasonable $100,000 a year. And I'm like, OK. Um, anyway, we um, um, we have had a, uh, a custom system designed and programmed for us, um, which we just launched uh, this. You know, we just kind of, you know, cut the ribbon on that this past week and folks have been signing up for spring courses through it. Um, we've uh, we've affectionately uh, named it Goldberry. Um, on the premise that uh, when people go to register for classes, it's, you know, it's like uh, you know, knocking at the door of a woodman's hut, and won't they be surprised this semester when you know, the door is answered by a fair young elf queen drift, dressed in living flowers. So um, uh, anyway, um, it's... Um, It's been very cool. So Goldberry is this beautiful uh, custom program that's been designed for Signum and all of our uh, sort of little uh, idiosyncrasies. Uh, And uh, it's it's just it's been a very, very I mean, I just keep staring at it, you know, like something this uh nice (laughs) we've never had nice things before (laughs) so anyway it's very it's very it's very nice it's very cool um so uh many props to uh eldarion um eldarion is the name of the uh the company that made it for us um And uh, I strongly recommend them. They do awesome work, uh, including their wonderful and uh, generous work with Signum. We're helping them to um, uh, hopefully uh, be able to develop this as a model that they can uh, uh, that they can market then to to other uh, uh, to other small uh, programs, because there's a real need for that, you know, for a good market for that um so anyway uh i'm uh that's the other thing i'm excited about just kind of wanted to uh, uh to to uh share with you guys um but anyway all right let us jump into the text because as i've said it's an exciting day and we are going to get to talk about a poem so I know this is going to be discouraging (laughs) because I'm starting off by going back to the previous slide, but I wanted to make sure we got the context again, right? I wanted to remember what... I was was looking at the first lines of the poem right before I started up class, and I was like, wait a second. I forgot what Bilbo just said before he started... um, um, before he started to... uh, um, sing his song, right? So I wanted to review that. And what he says, of course, is, um, I'll do my best to finish my book before you return. I should like to write the second book if I am spared. And then he breaks off and turns to the window again, singing softly. Now, we saw him doing this before. Right, he turned away and looked out of the window, trying to hum a tune. Earlier on, when he was saying, "There's more about you now than appears on the surface," good luck to you. And we spent some time last week talking about the significance of that and the way it connects back to his own adventure and the way that he's even kind of, you know, sort of reversed what his own first experience with the Mithril Coat. Right, like the external internal thing. Right, we were discussing that last time. Um, anyway, he was certainly thinking about. Frodo and his affection for Frodo and of course he has that moment where he turns away so that Frodo doesn't see him get emotional right? and uh, is attempting apparently unsuccessfully uh, to try to hum a tune in order to, I doubt it's truly to conceal the fact that he's tearing up here but um, that he's um, uh, that he's Uh, trying to kind of regain control over himself, right? Um, And he does the same thing again, right? He broke off and turned to the window again, singing softly. So there is a direct parallel between the song that he's about to sing and the hum which he unsuccessfully hummed earlier on, right? Um... And so that's an interesting piece of context to remember, right? But the second thing <laughs> exactly are us, plausible deniability <laughs> of emotion. I agree. I agree. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I assume, by the way, he says um, that when he says if I'm spared, he means if I live long enough. Right? I should like to write the second book if I am spared. So if I survive long enough, I would like to write the second book as well. Right, But he's not sure if he's going to survive or not. Um, in part, Bilbo seems to be feeling his age. Right Now, he was feeling his age at the beginning. You'll remember that was one of the things under discussion back in chapter one. Well, preserved indeed. Right, um, He uh, began to feel in his heart of hearts that he was old, right? Even back when he had the ring and was still under the direct influence of the ring. Now, we've talked about this. There's no evidence that Bilbo looks like he has aged. Um, and I think there's some pretty strong evidence that he has not looked like he has aged. Um, remember the inconsistency here. That is, uh, I. Th- it's a very moving moment, in the Peter Jackson film when Frodo sees Bilbo again in Rivendell and he's all gray now, right? He's, he's, he's like sudden, like age is caught up with him and that's a really poignant moment and I think it's played very well uh, in the film and and, and it has a, a lot of power to it. It's one of those, in the film, it's really played as one of those moments in which Frodo, at least I've always understood when in, in my viewing of the films I've always understood that moment as one of the moments when movie Frodo first really um, is kind of confronted with a clear external evidence of the power of the ring over the wielder, right? That it, like, this ring really does do stuff to you, right? Look at Bilbo, right? Um, that it's, it's, it's he doesn't just look 17 years older. Right. He looks much older than he did when Frodo last saw him. Um, so I, and I, I think it's a I think it's a fascinating scene. I think it's a really powerful scene in its own way, but it's very inconsistent. If by letting if by not having the ring in your possession, age catches up with you and the power of the ring to stretch out your life ceases, Gollum would be dust a long time ago. Right. Um, so it doesn't really work. Um, anyway. Uh, So Bilbo's, but Bilbo doesn't really know how this works and how this is going to work. And also remember that, um, remember a couple things. Remember, first of all, that Gandalf spoke of Bilbo's ignorance of the fact that the ring was prolonging his life. Remember when Gandalf said to Frodo at the beginning of Chapter 2 um, that um, he didn't suspect that the ring itself was to blame for his long life? Uh, he, 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 uh, he took all the credit to that to himself, and he was very proud of it, uh, said Gandalf, in a very uh, uh, hobbitry kind of way. Uh, he can show hobbitry towards Bilbo even uh, in absentia uh, in that way. Um, but... Um, Anyway, so, um, we, uh, so Bilbo had been in denial. He had not even really been aware of the fact that the ring was, um, uh, the ring was doing it to him, was prolonging his life, right? But I don't think, I don't think that, um, Bilbo is ignorant anymore, Right. We've seen the way that Bilbo's own understanding of the ring, the kind of hold the ring has on him, right, the unwholesomeness of the ring and its effects, he has seen that. By seeing it mirrored in Frodo um, in the Hall of Fire, he's had a few moments now. Right where significant moments the moment at the ring of fire in the ring of fire, the moment in the in the hall of fire and the moment in the uh uh in the council right were both very significant moments which especially the moment uh in the hall of fire um where he um it almost amounts to a second giving up of the ring right and in its way. Perhaps, as we've discussed, even a more significant one in that he had Gandalf's help the first time. He did give it up, right? It it was him giving it up. And we could see at the time when we were looking at that, that he his own inclination, his own desire was to give up the ring. His will was definitely behind that. Um, But it was equally clear that he had not really. 100% given up on it. He might have given it up but he hadn't really given up on it as evidenced by his repeated suggestions, right? Innocuous suggestions to go back to the Shire to fetch it. Um, So, but now he clearly has. And I think that that has um, uh, I think that that has brought a significant change to his understanding of the ring. And so I bet he understands more clearly now the connection to his own, um, his own aging. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Jordan says, we're going to talk about Bilbo's aging. I need data. I know Jordan, we need a whole chart, right? (laughs) And we definitely need a whole, a whole table of calculations. We should be doing more math, uh, frankly, if we're talking about Bilbo's aging. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, I agree. <laughs> Sorry, it's a nature of Middle Earth joke for those of you who haven't been discussing the nature of Middle Earth with us. Um, but yeah, that'll be that'll be that'll be tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, we'll have time for plenty plenty more math. <laughs> oh dear me. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I, I just can't even tell you. The affection that keeps bubbling up in my heart towards Tolkien as I look at table after table of uh, elvish aging uh, calculations. It just warms my heart in a way I can scarcely describe. But anyway, anyway. Um, uh, Okay, okay. Um, But that's tomorrow night. That's not tonight. I agree thoughtless with what you were saying before that there is evidence that Bilbo is aging. Yes, I agree. Um and frankly I would say his if I'm spared comment is itself further evidence, right? I mean he he's already said that. As I quoted before. He's said, he he knows it, he feels it in his heart of hearts, right? That he's old. Um he's at least old on the inside, right? Um, and his very caveat here, I should like to write the second book if I am spared, shows that he knows he's not just old, he's really old, right? He's almost record-breaking old at this point. He is almost as old as the old took at this point. He is the second oldest hobbit that any hobbit has ever known right now. I mean, so he's not just like slightly elderly. Right. He is he is very, very old and he feels it. Right. He feels it. Um, and that's the moment. If I am spared is the moment when he breaks off and turns to the window again. So if he's fighting back the tears, it seems to be his desire to finish both books, right? I mean, not only is he not certain about writing the second book, the first book isn't finished, right? His book, the red book, isn't finished. And he said, I'll do my best to finish my book before you return, right? Um, and then in this sort of wave of optimism, I should like to write the second book if I am spared. But I think perhaps even the... Um, he knows he knows that that's unrealistic, right? Um, yeah, now, I also agree, mad violinist, that uh, the books are in some way a proxy for getting to see Frodo again. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I-, I don't I, I don't want to go too far in talking about the books to say that all he's thinking about is like his own literary career at that moment or even his own life that it's merely the brief recognition of his own impending mortality, right, his own uh, you know, forthcoming death that leads him to turn to the window again and start making music uh, or trying to, right Um, I I don't think that at all I, I agree, he is still thinking about Frodo on one level He is definitely still thinking about Frodo. And so I agree that I should like to write the second book is not only a way of saying, obviously, because look, nobody's going to write that second book if Frodo fails and Sauron gets the ring, right? So the whole idea that the second book is there to be written, right, um, is... uh, is a way of thinking positively about what is to come, as we saw him doing before, right? With his uh, books ought to have happy endings talk, right? At the end of the Council of Bilbo, there at the end of uh, uh, at the end of the very beginning of this chapter, um, he's done that before. In other words, um, you know, uh, when he, you know, rather boldly asked Frodo if he'd thought of any endings uh, for his book yet, um, but um. Anyway, right, so he is clearly also thinking about Frodo, so I think that both of those two things are involved. But at the same time, although, yes, he's thinking about Frodo and he's talking about the second book in order in part to sort of, you know, continue along the lines that he did before in sort of cheering Frodo up, um, and he's kind of overcome in the middle of that with... the Because, of course, even thinking about his own death again, that too is tied with the concept of the death of Frodo, right? He doesn't know if he's going to be spared. He doesn't know if Frodo is going to be spared, right? Um, and both of those things are enough to choke up uh, an elderly on the inside hobbit. Um, any hobbit, to be perfectly frank. Um, but um, anyway, so I, I agree. Both of those things need to kind of come together here, um, He attempted to hum a tune. we're not told with what success, but he does apparently succeed in singing his song, fortunately for us, so we get to talk about it. Um, And even more fortunately for us, uh, I would like to play a recording for you. Mad Violinist has... has, composed a tune uh, for Bilbo's farewell song here, um, which he sang for us. Uh, Mad Violin has told me before class, he said um, uh, he was sort of making apologies uh, f- that he doesn't have the greatest singing voice in the world, but then he said, probably Bilbo didn't either. So, uh, you know, it's especially a Bilbo choked up with emotion that he's attempting to deny. Uh, so... Uh, he was uh, asking that that be his excuse though I don't think he
1: actually needs very much excuse Uh, anyway here is the tune I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been of yellow leaves and gossamer in autumns that there were of morning mist and silver, sun and wind upon my hair. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. For still there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. I sit beside the fire and think of people long ago, and people who will see a world that I shall never know. But all the while I sit and think of times there were before. I listen for returning feet, and voices at the door awesome thank you
0: for that chris yeah i apologize i I, i've got so many channels going on here that i couldn't pipe the audio everywhere Uh, but it did go out to the stream so if you didn't hear it uh you can go back and listen to one of the recordings of the stream on one of the various places where it's recorded um um, but anyway, thank you, Chris. That was awesome. Um, and uh, of course, I always like to start off by reading the poem all the way through. Anyway, so that was a wonderful way to do it. Um, let us start at. Um, let us start at the beginning here. First of all, what do you notice about? You know where I always like to start, right? When we talk about poems, I want st- to I want to talk about the shape first. I want to. I want to. I want to first begin with the big picture, right? Um, and I don't know. I feel like I've explained this a whole bunch of times. I think it's always best to start with the shape because you first have to hear that. If you don't hear that right away, then you miss half the story, right? It's important to get the story. This is something, by the way, that's I find the biggest mistake that people make with poems is that they forget that their narrative or like contains sentences, like they. 20th century poetry has I blame Ezra Pound has like wrecked people for reading poetry because like the you know, like free verse, you know, detached images floating around has kind of trained people to expect that out of poems like they don't have syntax or narrative or something like that. Um, And that's always important. But again, first of all, um, uh, first of all. The shape, though, the, the the sound shape, I mean, of the poem, the meter, the rhyme, in order to see the overall structure, how, like, what is the vessel these words are being put into, right? Um, because that's a really important context for us to keep in mind before we begin even to think about um, the words. And often I know my own experience of a poem is usually that sound shape first, like before I can really even pay attention to what the... Words mean, right? And what it's saying. It's nice. You have to kind of get it in your ear first. So okay. So where to begin? Where do we begin? We begin with the sound. What? uh, What are we doing for meter? Here, I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been. Now, as always, when we start with meter, it's good, of course, to use the fancy poetic terminology, but that's not what's most important. What's most important is the, the fundamental rhythm, right? What is the basic building blocks of this, right? How does it go? How does it go? What is the basic rhythmic pattern of this poem? I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been. Yes, exactly. Jj babum 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 babum. It is iambic. It is very iambic. In fact, it is perfectly iambic. It is flawlessly iambic. Um it is almost hypnotically iambic. Perfect regularity almost without any hesitation or exception. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen. Bum 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 You could use this to teach Iambic meter of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been. The only thing that keeps that in some sense from being perfect is you kinda have to do flowers as one syllable and if you do flowers as one syllable it's a little bit it's it's a it's a lot of syllable if you do it in one right of meadow flowers and butterflies and so there's a little bit of a a hitch like a slight hesitation there as you kind of get your mouth around flowers right even if you you know, flowers can be one syllable but it's a it's a longish syllable right if you do it as one as, as one syllable which again that the meter like to me like in, in, in it insists on it right um, it's too much of an it's too sudden and too much of an aberration to try to do that as two syllables of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been like it's whoa like forget about that um, so yeah I think of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been. Um, so we get a kind of, not a disruption of the rhythm, but a kind of lingering on that one syllable, right? But again, but those first two lines, man, like, again, you could, you can set your watch by that. Um, so, <laughs> right, <laughs> Cook of Miner is so funny. Did I miss the poem? I just got in from work. We're almost on line one now, Cook of Miner. <laughs> okay, okay, um... Yeah. So, Matt, it's a good question. Matt's asking um, what I consider the first, the first foot there, like the very, very first one, iambic or spondaic. So an iambic means unstressed, stre- bom-bom, bom-bom, right? That's an iambic foot. Spondy means, in poetic terminology, spondy means the two syllables are equal, right? Um, uh, like you'll remember, we were talking about how the Tom Bombadil line almost always begins with a spondy, right? Ho Tom Bombadil, right? Ho Tom Bomb is always that's all stressed. There's no variation of stress in there, right? Ho Tom Bombadil, and then it starts to vary after that. Um, so the question is: Is the i sit spondaic, or is it, um, uh, or is it iambic? Um, and it's a good question in one sense because I think if you were just sitting down with it for the first time like if you're just reading it with your eyes off the page like i guess people do that if you were just reading it with your eyes off the page you might well stress the i right i sit um i sit beside the fire and thing like or i sit i mean you could you could totally read that spondaically if you wanted to but soon your mind would be changed if your ear was open at all. I think, um, it, um, it is, again, this is why I think it's so important to like, listen to it through and then read it again. Right. Um, you can't, this is why poems you can never, Lindier is right that you can't really make judgments about songs uh, on one hearing. Um, so, uh, So yeah, yeah. But I think once you once you hear the rest of those lines, and then go back. I mean, so like read those first two lines. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen. Now go back and do it again, and you can't help it, right? I sit beside the fire and think. It's clearly iambic, right? Again, objectively speaking, with no context, you could totally hear it that way. But um, but you could hear no. Do you remember in uh, uh, you could hear it in Chris's song, right? When Chris was singing it. Uh, he was clearly feeling the i. You, you could feel the imbs, uh in his song. Um, yeah. Um, anyway. Um, okay. So very regular iambic, really all the way through those first four lines, right? Um, and let's just focus on the first stanza for now. Let's do. We'll do one stanza at a time. Okay, so extremely regular. Now, we have the basic unit of sound, right? The, I am is c- the iambic foot is clearly the basic unit of sound uh, in this poem, certainly in this first stanza. Um, so now what's the larger shape? How many do we have? I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen of meadow flowers and butterflies and summers that have been, yeah, four three, four, three, yes, so C- C- cook of wood minor um that's what iambic means, uh so pentameter means five beats of the iams. uh cook you speak like someone who had to uh repeat the fact in a quiz in high school that Shakespeare's poems were written in iambic pentameter, um, without your teacher fully really explaining what exactly that meant. (laughs) Right. Um, but yes, that's exactly it. So pentameter means, um, five would mean five iambic feet in a line. Um, now iambic pentameter has been quite unusual, so far we have not seen i think any examples of iambic pentameter in tolkien's poem so far but iambic tetrameter four feet in a line is what we have been calling hobbit meter right that's what most of the hobbit songs the hobbit walking song the hobbit drinking song the hobbit bath song right have all been in iambic tetrameter um and uh uh, that is, uh, that's been a, 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 a shape that we've frequently seen. This is not quite, right? Silk Westcott, you're right. It's eight syllables, then six, then eight, and then six, right? Um, four iambic feet, then three, then four, then three. And you can, you, you, you can hear it, right? You can hear that the second line is, shortened, that is, sh- is shorter. Now, think about the effect of that. Again, this is where I come back to the shape, right? Because this has a huge impact on how we read the stanza. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been. You hear that? So they're not even like this. If you weren't looking at the page, this doesn't even sound like a four line stanza, does it? Right? I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been it sounds almost like two iambic heptameter lines, right? Two lines of seven... Doesn't it sound almost continuous? And in fact, when you look at the punctuation, too, you see that the the punctuation backs that up. Right? Um, There's no break between lines one and two or between lines three and four. But there's a comma at the end of line two and there's a semicolon at the end of line four, right? We're supposed to pause there, right? Shorter pause the first time, longer pause the second time. It's not a period yet. It's still only a semicolon. We don't get our first period until the end of the second stanza. So the whole first two stanzas are one sentence, which will bear remembering, right? Um, I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen. Of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been. Okay, now, um, so as I say, this could easily be written as two lines of seven beats per line. So, guess who writes poetry like that? This is not the last time we're going to hear that seven foot pattern. For instance, we will come across it again when we get. I sang of leaves, of leaves of gold, and leaves of gold there grew. Right? Um, we're gonna get. It's elves do a lot of sevens in their poems. Um, yeah, elf meter. Green, great dragon. Exactly. Um, it's like this is like hobbit. It's it's shaped like hobbit meter, but but again. Almorea asks very sensibly, why is it in four lines then instead of two like it sounds? That's a great question. It's, it sounds like two lines, but it isn't two lines, right? So, Almarea, let's, let's think about that. Let's look and see how that works. Let's try to answer that question. Why, why do we get Why do we get this? Well, okay, let's come to the next element of things. Rhyme, right? Uh, as far as the sound shape is concerned. We've talked about the rhythm. Right now, let's talk about the rhyme Uh, and not just the rhyme, the sounds of the words in general. Rhyme being the most prominent of those sound shapes, but not the only one. Right. Um, What do we get for what what do we get for rhyme here? The strong rhyme is at the end of as lines two and four, right? Um, lines two and four. Scene and bean. Which is why I keep pronouncing bean like bean. Not only because although that's super weird in America, it was less weird uh in <laughs> it was less weird in the u k uh and the further back you go in the u k the less and less weird that gets um Chaucer would have seen those two as absolutely simplistically rhyming words um but um but exactly it is properly british uh perfectly acceptable to say bean uh for that um as clearly we're meant to do okay seen and bean um, are, are our primary rhymes there um, What about lines one and three? We don't really get an end rhyme there, right I sit beside the fire and think of meadow flowers and butterflies yeah. um, uh. Yeah, yeah. Um, good. You're right, um, Aspen. We do get some sound connections, right? The Fs in the middle, right? Tolkien loves alliteration, and we know that Tolkien loves, loves alliteration. It is not only rhyme that he uses to connect things together. Um, but we don't get an end rhyme. There. Think and flies just don't rhyme, right? So notice how that meshes with what we've already observed about the rhythm of the lines, right? As well as the enjambment of the lines. Enjambment, you may remember, I've said before, is when one line just goes straight into the next without a pause, right? Um, As these two appear to do. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen. Of meadow flowers and butterflies In summers that have been Um So those two pairs of lines Are definitely jammed, they definitely flow together And the rhyme would seem, to, again If you're just listening to it and you're not looking At it on the page, it sounds like A, a couplet, right Um, two seven Beat, right, seven Foot couplets Um, two, two lines, right, that form One couplet there uh, One rhyming couplet Um uh, so that those two things jive very well together um, emphasizing the the sort of length of line the kind of clandestine seven foot meter that we get going on there, right, in this stanza um, but as Almerea was reminding us it's not lines. It's four lines, right? So why is that? How does that work? Um, now, I think in part to answer that question, we're going to have to actually start paying attention to what the words say. But let's uh, look some more at uh, at sounds first. Um, any other connections? Any other connections that you see? Oh, and yes, Matt, you're right. There is a really complicated pattern between, like, among the different stanzas. Oh, yeah. We'll get there, right? I'm just, we're just Trying to wrap our minds around stanza one first. Um, uh, okay, good. Yes, the repeated s's. I agree. S is an important. Uh, in that first line, um, we have three initial s sounds. Now, if you're again, if you're looking at this with your eyes, you're like baloney. There's only two initial s sounds. Sit and scene. And yeah, no, no. But you can't just look with your eyes. You've got to hear it. Right. Um, And what's the most what is the most dominant and important element of of this poem? The fundamental iambic meter. So what matters is not so much which letters come at the beginning of words on the page. What matters is what you hear, like what comes on the stressed syllables. Right. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen. There are three of those seven syllables, three of those seven stressed syllables Start with S, so I agree. I think that that's really that that's really important. Um, uh, notice also that we have the the um, the good yeah. Uh, Mirinia Fay, I, I agree, and I think that's another one of the reasons why that word flowers. I was talking about how flowers introduces almost a kind of a pause because you have to kind of get your mouth around that using that as one syllable. Um, but, um, but you're right. The fact that we have back to back syllables, which um, don't quite rhyme with each other. Right. But the O W meadow flowers, right. It's not just flowers on its own. The meadow flowers, um, it's not exactly a rhyme because flow and meadow don't exactly rhyme. It's a different O sound, right? Um, and yet that O-W, like, what, it, what the O-W makes your mouth do is very similar, right? Meadow, flowers. Um, and by the way, do not think that Tolkien was not thinking about that. Um, philologists are very conscious of what different sound shapes make your mouth do. Um, So that is absolutely something that Tolkien would have been thinking. Um, uh, if, uh, If you are one of those uh, linguist peoples uh, who tends to think in terms of like labials and fricatives and things like that, Tolkien would have been too. Um, so he definitely um, just like he kind of tossed off at one point in one of his letters about how Gollum would never pass up the chance of a sibilant, right? Uh, with all of his s-s-s. uh So uh, so yes, uh, he's was very conscious of that kind of thing and thought about that kind of thing all the time. Um... But um yeah, oh two juice man, you're so right. We need to be remembering Bilbo's farewell song here when we get to Goadriel's poem later on. We're definitely gonna be wanting to be comparing uh to be comparing those. Um but um uh but yeah, okay, so and I agree there's a there's a uh Kendall, there's a kind of a parallel structure there as well. So anyway, hang on. Let me first finish uh the meadow flowers comment um i do think that that is one of the things that as i say makes us kind of it it inescapable again just like with the way what you have to do with your mouth to pronounce the phrase meadow flowers right of meadow flowers and butterflies i uh, just think how much quicker and easier it is to say butterflies than it is to say meadow flowers um you can't help. It doesn't break the meter. It's a fascinating thing that he did there, right? Because sometimes, of course, often a poet will break the meter. You don't always want it to just be like a metronome. Like, you don't want it to... I mean, it's kind of bold, actually, to do a perfectly iambic structure like he's doing here. That's not very common. Um, but, um, uh, but he manages to vary the rhythm of the words without breaking the meter and that's awesome like that's amazing that he's able to do that of meadow flowers and butterflies is still again if you do flowers as one syllable which you totally can do um it's still a perfectly iambic line right doesn't break the meter at all and yet alters the rhythm and that's 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 a uh, some, uh, high-level stuff right there. Um, but anyway, back to, um, the, oh, what was the, uh, um, uh, Kendall, right? Yes. You were talking about how I sit in line one and in summers in line four, um, you have that, 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 Yes, at at the first stress of the line, right? Second syllable, first stress of the line in both places. Yes, exactly. Um, and also, I think that there's... Um, Tolkien does a thing here, which I think we can often see him doing. Um, this is especially clear in a poem like um, uh, the Luthien poem uh, that Aragorn sang. And um, where, oh my goodness, like, his play with the sound of words in that poem is just some of his most exquisite in any of the poetry that he ever wrote. But, um, but notice how you can see kind of small trends, right? Um, the, the S's that we already talked about, right? Sit beside scene. Um, the, uh, the F's, right? Fire and flowers, in the middle of line one, the middle of line three, um, the bees also. I sit beside, and then butterflies, right? Um, so you got the the bee and beside, and then butterflies, and then, uh, and even the uh, the M of meadow flowers right above, right? And all of these things get brought together in line four. Right. Line four kind of takes all of those sound patterns and, and puts almost all of them. But we don't get the F again, um, but we get almost everything else. Right. We get the we get the 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 the, the B. Right. The S. Uh, uh, Kendall in that same position, just as you were saying. Right. That second syllable. First first stress syllable. Um, uh, and we get uh, the, the 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 double M of summers. Right. Um, picking up on the M of Meadowflowers in the previous line. And then, of course, the rhyme. Right, picking up on the word seen um, but replacing the S from that first one with B uh, which of course echoes with butterflies and beside Right, so uh, again just listen to those consonantal patterns I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been hear how it all kind of comes together again there at the end in the fourth stanza, really cool really cool um, and, uh, Mad Violinist, you're right. Uh, the, we, on the same principle that we counted the S and beside, we do need to count the F in butterflies as well. Um, as it also is a stressed syllable. You're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. Um, um, yes, yes. Um, okay, cool. So that's really fun, but what do we get from that? What do we, what do we sort of hear in there? Well, He's, on the one hand, the rhyme scheme, it's if you just consider rhyme scheme, it's pretty loose, right? A four-line stanza with only one rhyming pair between them, right? He doesn't do a lot of internal rhyme. He could do, but he doesn't do that. Um, you know, like he does in, um, you know, uh, Far Over the Misty Mountains Cold, uh, for instance, um, uh, you know we must away our break of day that kind of thing like he, he could do that kind of thing um, he doesn 't do that kind of thing um, we, get, we have meadow flowers, but that 's not quite internal rhyme again it 's more a, more the sort of a, a oral rhythmic effect right um, but um Oh, uh, when I in was a mariner, yeah, <laughs> talk about internal rhyme, Kurtzimus, absolutely um, but anyhow he, so he he doesn't so again, if you just look at rhyme scheme you 'd think yeah it 's pretty loose, right, but we can see when we look a, when we look a little more closely, or rather when we listen a little more carefully, we can hear um, that the although the vowels aren't necessarily. Um, Tying it closely together with rhyme The consonants are In fact tying those four lines All up uh, a little more Closely uh, together Um, Okay Um, Now It's finally time To think about what on earth he's talking about In this poem Having now listened to it And gotten the context What's this first stanza about? I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been You know the first thing that I notice when I look at the content of this um, <laughs> I'm probably too much of a door, because it's probably not the first thing that you were thinking of. The first thing that I'm thinking of is the tense of the verbs. Do you notice the tense of the verbs? First verb. What is the tense of the... Prim- what is the primary verb? What is this poem... Uh, what is this stanza about? What is the subject and 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 the, the, the subject and verb? I sit. Yes, I sit. I am the subject... Sit is, this is about, this is a a stanza about him sitting. Everything else is grammatically, syntactically subordinate to I sit, right? And I sit is present tense, right? Present tense. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen, right? Okay, so I sit and think, yes. Sitting and thinking is both, it is a compound verb, right? I sit and think. Where do you sit? I sit beside the fire. And you think of all that I have seen of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been those are all the things he is thinking of, right? But I sit and think. Both simple present, right? These are things that I do. But what he's thinking about what's the tense there? Little little, little grammar quiz. What is the tense of what he's thinking about? Turinbar says, as we know, Rivendell is perfect, even if you just like sitting and thinking best. Very true. Very true. Just like he said. Uh, And so he's clearly been doing a lot of sitting and thinking, just as the narrator um, in The Hobbit uh, said. But of course, exactly as you point out, Rivendell is in fact perfect, and perfect is the tense of this verb as well. And it's actually not past perfect. It's present perfect. That's exactly it. I have seen, have seen. So uh, the difference between the present perfect and the past perfect is the tense of the helping verb, in English anyway, is the tense of the helping verb right? I have seen is present perfect. I had seen is past perfect. Now, what's the difference between present perfect and past perfect? A perfect tense refers to, of course, the Latin word perfectus, which means completed, right? Um, accomplished. So, a verb that is done in the, in the perfect tense, any of the perfect tenses, is describing a completed action. So the question, the difference between past pre- past perfect, present perfect, and future perfect is when that action, at what point is that action complete, right? It's about a completed action. They're all about completed actions, right? But at what point is that action complete? Past perfect, I had seen, would be describing an action that was completed at some point in the past, Right? Future perfect tense, which is personally my favorite tense, um, uh, it doesn't get used very often, but it's awesome, is about a an action that will be comp- completed in the future, right? Um, so you know, hopefully, by the end of class next week, we will have finished talking about this poem, right? Um, we'll have finished. Will have is our helping verb in the future tense. Finished uh, would be the pa- the participle uh, in that uh, in that sense. Um, present perfect, therefore, refers to an action which is completed now. Like you are declaring it almost completed, right? Um, so he's sitting beside the fire and thinking of all that I have seen. Of all of the seeing I have been doing up to this point. All of the seeing the things, you know, the, the seeing of things that is completed prior to this moment. Right? Exactly. So the things finished now. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly, Forth Thoughtless. In a few decades, this class will have been awesome. That's true. That's true. That's exactly it. Um... Yes, okay, uh, and then notice he uses the same thing again of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been, right? So he's thinking about past. uh, he's thinking about past, but it's a but but the whole thing, remember, is framed in the present tense. He is describing in the present tense what he is currently sitting and thinking about, and what he is currently sitting and thinking about is a retrospective on his life. From this moment, right? He's not just thinking about the past, right? Um, as you might say, if you said something like, ah, yes, all those journeys that I had gone on before, right? Um, uh, or like, you know, he might have thought about the adventures that he had had, right, on his trip. That would be a past perfect Recollection, right? Re- 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 recollecting something that was completed in the past. And we know that Bilbo, reflecting on his adventure and thinking about completing his book, has been reflecting on things that have been completed in the past, right? Thinking of the mementos of his journey and all of that kind of thing. Um, but this is a present tense song, right? It is about the present and what he is doing, which is sitting and thinking about. The past, and what is it that he's sitting and thinking about? Of all that I have seen. And then we get an example. Right, syntactically, it's parallel. Right, of all that I have seen of meadow flowers and butterflies. So we just get two prepositional phrases. Right. Um. But um. So they're parallel syntactically, but but they're clearly hierarchical. Right, of all that I have seen colon, right? It's not a colon, it's a comma, but it's like, he's like, and I shall give you an example of some of those things that I have seen, right? Of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been, right? Um, I'm pausing here for a second because that phrase um, in summers that have been is an odd phrase. Like, the more I think about it, the stranger that phrase is. Who talks like that? Right? You know, nobody usually talks like that. Um, you might think about years that you had or things that you... He talks about the summers having been as if they happened... Like all by themselves, which of course they did, right? Um, in other words, <laughs> notice what he does. It does sort of anthropomorphize the summers, like we about. I agree, um, except it also it kind of makes them. Well, I, I was going to say passive, but that's not quite right. It's just he's just singing, not about them doing anything or about anything that happened in them. It's just they've existed. They existed. Those summers were, right? They just, they were. But you notice what he doesn't say. You notice what, what doesn't, what word does not occur in that lines three and four is I. He doesn't talk about himself. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen. So he's the framework of that first general statement but then, when he starts talking about what he's seen, he forgets himself. He doesn't. I mean, he could easily say, um, and "This wouldn't rhyme and would be like would break the rhythm completely." I'm not talking about the rhythm, but I'm just thinking again, substance-wise, content-wise. If he said something along the lines of, uh, "Of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that I have enjoyed." right like that would be a natural kind of way to express it again he'd do it in better words that fit better with the shape the sound shape of the poem but do you see what I mean like that that is what feels to me that's like what I feel like I'm expecting because of the way that he provided the frame um, in those first two lines it's him sitting and thinking right but um, he uh, he doesn't think about himself He talks about all that I have seen, but he thinks of it. He begins immediately thinking of it, of not um, not in relationship to himself, but themselves. And like taking quite literally what he said of all that I have seen. Right. He was there to see it. But apart from the fact that he was there to see it, it doesn't have anything to do with him. These summers, they were. Right, they have been um, he was fortunate to have also been there and seen the meadow flowers and butterflies in those summers um but there's there's this kind of autonomy if you see what I mean that he grants to the summers by the way that he's um that he's phrased that, and Rowan, when I'm talking about the he that I'm talking about here is Bilbo um. We can, to talk about what Tolkien may or may not be suggesting or what Tolkien might be wanting us to thinking, that's a totally separate step. We now have to kind of back up a further step to think about that. But I'm not going to be at all ready to do that until, first we have to, we have a speaker. We have a speaker in a narrative context of his speaking, right, Um, which is uh, um, his... uh, which is Bilbo, right, in this conversation. So we need to first think about Bilbo um, as the narrative is asking us to do. Then we can maybe um, uh, think about that again. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, Corey, I agree, have been is just, is, is just it's this perfect linking v- verb there at the end, right? And notice also, this is where now our sound shape uh, comes back into play right? Um, think uh, Corey, of the significance that that perfect linking verb is given by the fact that it is the primary the primary linking verb there that is the primary rhyme of the whole stanza, right? The two syllables that jump out at you more than any other, thanks to the rhyme are seen and been, right? That thing that he so all of the the primary things that jump out at you are the things that he's sitting and thinking about, right? I have seen that have been, right? And of course, the parallel tenses, the two present perfect tenses, there also create um, a parallel shape there uh, in those in those lines as well. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, and you're right. The perfect linking verb simply communicates pastness and completeness because it's a linking verb, right? It doesn't, it doesn't convey action at all. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yes, yes. Um, but again, like the, the, the being of the summer, right? The being of the summer um, r- gets a, a, a huge emphasis, not just because it's the last word, um, but also because of the the rhyme there. And think about what I was suggesting before about how those continental sounds are brought together there in that last line as well. how line four kind of, um, you know, kind of in a sense, kind of ties together the sound, the sounds that have been kind of floating around and repeating in the rest of the stanza. Well, now, that we're looking at the content, right? And we're seeing what he's singing about. It's, it's all about those summers, right? Summers that have been, that's the, I sit and think might be the subject, right? The primary subject in action of that's what this stanza is about, but it's not really what it's about, right? Um, What this stanza is really about is about summers that have been, that's what it's been building up to the whole time. Right. What have you seen? Beautiful things, meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been. And it is all about, yes, summer is kind of the protagonist, Kurtzimus. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and uh Tales, you are absolutely right. We're going to get the seasonal thing. Right. Um, peeking ahead, we do see stanza two is going to be talking about autumn and stanza three is going to be talking about winter. Yeah. Exactly, we're going to be kind of cycling through the seasons there as we go on through. Um, however, <laughs> if we are past time. We've had an excellent start, and having established the first stanza always takes longest to talk about because you gotta you gotta establish the patterns, right? <clears throat> but we have uh, the patterns established, or at least we have clear expectations of the sound patterns built uh, from the first stanza. And, of course, one of the things that we want to check and see, listening carefully, is to see if those expectations are going to be fulfilled or disappointed, and how they might be um, interacted with. Uh, by the rest of the stanzas uh, of the poem so not bad uh, one, stanza, <laughs> one stanza out of six is I think excellent excellent progress um, I'm sure we're going to knock out the other five next week no problem whatsoever um, uh, yeah and likely about of course you're right we're going to go back to spring eventually right um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> alright okay Next week. Rest of the poem next week. Thanks, everybody. Uh, it's uh, field trip time. Kind of a little past field trip time. Uh, sorry there, Valori, but we're good. <laughs> it's,
2: still better, it's still better than the Baron and Luthien day there. It's
0: still better than Baron and Luthien day when we went until what was it, like 12.30 or something like that? It
2: was closer to 1. I keep recall it being closer
0: to 1. Yeah, it was... Uh, I, got a, I got a little carried away that day. Fortunately, yeah. You know, that almost never happens anymore. It was a good show,
2: though.
0: It was. That was fun. It was fun. Yep. Yep. All
2: right. Off to Gwingris.
0: Okay, yeah, for, we're going back to Gwingris. So, um, oh, uh, very sorry, good. I
2: had, I had added our oh, that's right. No,
0: yeah, we did do a new one. Yeah, we did do a uh, Back to our little uh, little way station. One. Fun,
2: fun, fun. Yeah. I, I, I love these Hobbit poems. They always remind me of uh, some of the Ray Fun Williams songs that we always sang when I was in uh, Magical Choir in high school. Yeah. Um, I, I believe Tolkien was heavily influenced by uh, Ray Fun Williams and uh, some, of the, some of the songs that were uh, had lyrics by Rossetti, the pre Raphaelite.
0: Sure, sure.
2: Uh, so, but yeah, it's, every time I hear a, a Hobbit song that goes into. Uh, pastoral descriptions. My mind immediately goes to your hands lie open in the long, long grass <laughs> every single Right, time.
0: right. Yep, yeah. I did uh, actually quite a lot of magical singing. I was in a magical singing group in college as well. So I. Uh, yep.
2: <laughs> Nerds of a feather, I guess. Exactly. Why am exactly. I not
0: surprised? Yeah. No, <laughs> I did.
2: Now I we did. need a glee club. Uh, we need a glee club for midnight.
0: I did do magical singing. I, um... Uh, yes.
2: What
0: part did you sing? Bass. Bass. Bass? I'm really a baritone, but I I sang bass. Yeah, I I could not do the tenor line of madrigals, so...
2: Uh, yeah, I was an alto, so we always, but we I was like second alto, so we always had to help the the tenors. I always had to help yeah. them with the run ups and then jump to my own part. Just
0: right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, that's uh, we had a my group had a, had a a, a full time female tenor actually. Um, She's this gorgeous low voice, uh, <laughs> but okay. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, Nancy, we finished every single one of our concerts with My Bonnie Lass, She Smelleth. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, um, PDQ Bach. PDQ Bach classic. Yes. Um, and uh, in fact, Nancy, what we did, we do because you, if you know My Bonnie Lass, She Smelleth, you will know that um, she, so, oh, and by the way, we're not saying magical singing, we're saying madrigal singing. Madrigal With a D and then a G at the end. Madrigal, the genre of the 16th century, uh, 16th and 17th century uh, vocal genre. That's it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Nancy, if you remember My Bunny Lash She Smelleth, you will remember that he has, like, the song kind of, like, uh, degenerate into, like, strange noises and stuff at the end. Um, And we, every single concert that we did, we... um, uh, we did an arrangement of some other song that we would insert into "My Bonnie Lies smell at that point, um, like we did the Muppet theme at one point, and uh, whole bunches <laughs> of other things. Um, we just kind of like break into a completely different thing at that at that moment. All right. Um, oh yes, we need to raid build. I think we've not, we've.
2: Oh yes. Oh, sorry. Totally. we on yeah. I
0: Yeah. Okay. So, where were we? We. That's right. We just got. As far as uh, this holly tree uh, growing out of the boulder last time Mm -hmm. and speculating that they... I was speculating that they built this on purpose next to that boulder. They cozied this rotunda or whatever this is up to this boulder deliberately. Was my theory.
2: Yeah.
0: And that this was always designed to be a stable and so that this was probably some kind of way station um, like, I don't know like, this, is, this was like the Elvish rest area, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Um. <laughs> JJ, they didn't actually literally build this city on rock and bowl, uh, just sort of adjacent to rock and bowl. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, Like pop. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That was my favorite pun of the day, JJ. That, that was very good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, um, yeah, exactly. I'm sure there was an elven dog walking park right next to it. You know, there was uh, um, I mean, fortunately, this isn't like the uh, you know, the Jersey Turnpike, so there there wasn't, like, a Roy Rogers in here or something, but, um, but you know, a place where the... Uh, the It was like an Elvish truck stop. That's exactly it, right? Because uh, then if you're looking at it, right, you're coming up from the... Now, of course, it's hard because, of course, the scale is so small um, in Lotro, and, you know, you, like, ride for two minutes and cover half the region, which is obviously not... Um, I... I to scale right in any way Um, but um, but if you imagine this to be you know a region that's going to take you weeks to go across uh, you can see that where we are is uh, you know a fair kind of middle ground between Mirabel and Gwingris and then you know the road up towards Rivendell and um, what was this one called again Pembar right so um, I can imagine that
2: you didn't need to at least stop and water your horses and eat something, possibly that if that's
0: right. Yeah, maybe pause for a little while, like a few months or something. Um, maybe a decade or oh, yeah, something to out. have babies and move on. Um, I, but, uh, but yeah. But anyway, we, there we, we can see this big old city next door, which we obviously need to investigate. And I say city because from a distance this looked like it was, the, um, uh, it was the best um, chance of a city that we've seen yet. Pembar wasn't really a city. Gwingris wasn't really a city. It was, I mean, like it was a place where you could be, but it didn't really look, it didn't look like many people, neither of them really looked like there were permanent residences, or at least not many of them there, right? Mm-hmm. But with all these domes and lots of buildings all close to this one, looks a little more promising from a distance. But hang on, first we've got some random freestanding pillars which are curious. So we have, what, a colonnade here? We got three? Evidence of three uh, here?
2: Yeah, or that are, that, um, these are all pieces that fell off the one. Well, it's possible. I'd need to see a standing one to know what it, to make of this one. Yeah. Like, like a I company.
0: mean, presumably the top, I mean, that over there, like the, this Bit here could be the top of that second column. I heard
2: column. A has column like that right outside the place, the truck stop. It's got a column just like this on the outside.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um,
2: this might have been another rotunda over here.
0: Maybe. I, see, I, it's, I'm trying to figure this out. I don't see any evidence of anything on the ground like flagstones or... Yeah. No, it just looks like kind of gravelly soil there. Yeah,
2: it yeah. looks like uh, looks like my backyard that has all the gravel that's been buried
0: in dirt. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So, uh, I mean, it's a kind of a flat hilltop. There could have been some kind of outside hall here, like you know, you could imagine. Maybe a second set of columns over here and arches in between.
2: Like a, like a oh, what's it called? Um, like like a picnic area. Yeah, them. a nice
0: little nice little dance floor in the middle, maybe. Um, yeah, it could be a picnic area. I don't know. I don't know.
2: I'd have to see more things that these kind of columns come with.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now I'm wanting to kind of look around the perimeter a little bit and see if we see anything, any other strange outlying structures like those two columns. Oh, look at those two columns. We see two more columns off in the distance down there to the southwest.
1: Hmm.
0: We'll have to wait till we get down towards Mirabelle next. But yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, okay. All right. So let's see if we, what we can see about the general layout Of this city. And who's in here? Half-Orcs? Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Probably white-hand guys from the south, most likely.
0: Right, so the...
2: No there could be Misty Mountain, but no, Half-Orcs are from the south, I believe.
0: The biggest thing is this bridge.
2: Barad-Morlas.
0: Barad-Morlas. Man, this is a wildly inappropriately huge bridge.
2: And in, yeah, well, it implies there was a river under this. Look at the big Well, sure. Yeah, I,
0: I No, I assume that there was water down there, but I mean, look, even if there was water.
2: It's a steep climb.
0: Yeah, this is a crazy arch. I mean, look at this. Look at this grade. There are steps. Like, they have to They have to actually put steps on here.
2: Yeah, this you know, is like, not a place horses would normally travel. They'd be skating down there.
0: No, exactly. Dude. I thought you were high
2: enough. What's, the, what's, what's that
0: guy's damage there?
3: Yeah.
2: Anyway.
0: Um, yeah, so I mean, and there they built an arch so high that, like, look, we're on this level. We're higher We're We're at, we're at the height of the domes in the rest of the place.
3: Yep. Higher
0: than some of them. Like, we're higher uh-huh. than this dome over here to the southeast. We're... Equal to this dome here to the northeast, yeah. we're just a smidge below this biggest dome to the north northwest. I mean, but
2: this bridge was darn near. So like
0: what'd you this say? This is
2: a footpath. Look at how how tall this railing is compared to my head.
0: Oh if yeah, this you're was right.
2: Could be a footpath. What good would be? I couldn't see on side on side yeah. over there. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're right. It's completely, uh, completely obscured.
2: I'm an elf, I'm
0: a tall guy. Maybe they just went for, you know, safety precautions. Because, yeah, but first they made, they made it, it so tall and then they're like, there, well... On
2: the edge.
0: Yeah, they had, to, they had to make the walls... You know, they had to make it to code. So, uh, maybe that's why. They'll still make things to code. Well, goodness knows the bridges of Rivendell prove that there was no widespread Elvish code for the walls of bridges, for sure. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's for poo sticks. Kind of looks like poo sticks prevention. Like you couldn't play poo sticks on this bridge.
2: Yeah. Um, Must swim in after.
0: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I don't know about the height of. The, I don't know what to do with the height of this. But fact number one is simply that this bridge has been constructed, as I say, totally unnecessarily because. The river that it was crossing over is not all that impressive, you know. Like it, it doesn't even go down. It's not even like it's in a, a small river in a deep chasm. They didn't even have to build an arch here at all. They could have built a straight bridge with like, you know, supporting pillars underneath.
2: Yeah, it just had to be extra. Easily. Didn't
0: it? Yeah, I mean this bridge is so extra that. It makes me think. Why did they make this big, enormous bridge? Why was this bridge the centerpiece? Um, I think the answer
2: is because of... they could.
0: Well, because they could, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Notice also that the carvings are different. It's
3: still I can't. Im- hang
0: on a second, Dragon Rider. I can't imagine that there were sailing ships going underneath it. That, of course, would be another excuse to make a really high arch. But I can't imagine that there were. I mean, that river, you couldn't get a sailboat keel in that little canyon? Now, it's been 5,000 years, and it's been dry for a long time, so perhaps it's yeah. filled in some. It might have been deeper back in the day. It's possible.
2: Like maybe a two-man sailboat.
0: Or yeah, I, I I, just... I have a hard time believing that... um, uh, that they actually did it for practical purposes in that way. Anyway, um, okay. Uh, Right. The other thing I was just noticing is that um, both the stone, the color of the stone and the carvings on the stone are rather different here than they are in the The rest of the ruins are very like the ones that we've seen. Um, huh, what do you think this design was? It's hard because it's broken now.
2: Yeah, it does look like some of the bridges we've seen in ruin. But like on a bigger scale. This looks like the little one that's in Helandin
0: yeah. go to Thuiland. Yeah, so look at like how light grey the stone is here. Yes. Right, and then the kind of you know, coppery presumably great, gold great. since it's not uh, you know, corroded. Um, yeah. filigree here. Though you'd think gold would have long since been looted off this thing if especially
2: about these guys. Maybe that's why they're here.
0: Right, exactly.
2: Like stealing um, all the copper wiring out of the building.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, right, I agree, JJ. That the biggest question is um, uh, uh, the big question is: Are there any metal-colored, metal-covered stone trees? Which is indeed one of my questions as well. But okay, so I don't get the bridge. Ornamental frippery. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I'm imagining a river. And imagining a river, I'm trying to figure out... Does Oops, hang on. Gotta go around. Was this an island? No. Mm. Little peninsula, maybe? This probably connected over here, right? Looks like the... Yeah. But doesn't it look like there was maybe a stream that went down here?
2: Yeah, at least a good launch point for, like, a boat or something. Right. And we're talking, like, little, like, curricle kind of
0: boats. Okay, so this was... Uh, you know, how I'm beginning to really come around to that way of thinking, that the bridge was built as a tourist attraction like the Gateway Arch. Um,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Well, okay, so now this is a good question. Tomas is wondering... is it a dry stream or is it a road running under the bridge? Well, I think I'm going with stream mostly because, I mean, it's really rough here, right? I mean, look how uneven the ground is here. Now, again, 5,000 years, so lots could have happened, but...
2: Can we see where the bed ends? Like, where does it lead to? Is it just going off down the cliff or something?
0: Yeah, if you can see on the map... It suggests that this is one of the grooves that leads... I mean, you can see the course of the old river, and its little streamy tributaries, right? Um, And so it would, in the old days, have been presumably flowing the other way, flowing this way.
2: Yeah.
0: To the west.
2: So you'd see the bridge coming from the other side.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, good. Kendall points out that the tourist attraction thing does make sense with the Elvish rest stop. Yep. That's true. That's true. Yep. Um,
2: Instead of seeing the world's biggest candle, you could see a beautiful bridge.
0: Right. Exactly. Come see the big bridge over the little stream, JJ. That's exactly right.
2: Seems and then the there's beautiful this. Bridge.
0: What is the Venus on the half shell thing going on here? Is this like what? a lotus? Is it a an oyster?
2: Oh, this guy—it looks reminiscent of Gondorian stuff,
0: like a Gondorian crown or something, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it hides the dumpster, you think, Kendall? <laughs> yeah. When you see you lob the garbage bags up over the stone. Uh, I don't know. In
2: Disney, we just had jasmine flowers over those. It was much easier and more economical. Right,
0: right, exactly. Yeah, but seriously, like, what even is this thing?
2: Yeah, it looks like a looks like a Gondorian crown.
0: A uh, bathtub. Um,
2: looks like it's some sort of like cap of something, like that, like an ornament to a big. Uh, building, or a big column or something, tower? Well,
0: it does, except it has a platform underneath, right? Like, it doesn't look like it's something that fell off of something. Um,
2: it's hollow, though. There's no platform on the
0: inside. Yeah, I know. Well, but that just could be, again, 5,000 years, so... It's okay. overgrown. I mean, like, that much soil could have built up in five... Like, from leaves drifting in and rotting and then growing grass on them, you know, mm-hmm. that could be soil sitting on top of the stone platform inside.
2: Sure, sure. Um, There's a few more of these dotted around. Yeah, of them that is... Pack?
0: I just can't even imagine.
2: There's a fountain of some kind.
0: Okay. Let me try, try to understand this place one sector at a time. That is, I'm imagining the stream, right? Which was obviously a terrifying stream that you have to build a bridge 50 feet above, right? Um, but what do we th- <laughs> what do we think we have here? This is the same general architectural thing. This tower... Oh, notice we've got those like faux torches there again along the top right we've definitely seen this kind of thing and the, the faux wood around the edge of the of the tower there um
2: copper's all bent up on that one yeah cool detail
0: okay so there was a huge tower here uh huh not sure where the base was. Okay, right, and here's the feet. Okay, so, right, here we go. So this um, gazebo thing was the base of the tower, and then this bit stood on top of these broken pillars, right? Uh-huh. So there's a big open floor at the bottom. And then it had this big solid top coming up to this faux wood dome
2: yeah. here. Um, okay. Did you notice the tiny statue over there?
0: No. Tiny statue? There's
2: a tiny, looks like Celebrimbor. He's got a hammer.
0: There's a mini There's- Celebrimbor?
2: It's just this oh, guy over here. That's the
0: most adorable thing ever. Look at that.
2: Like a funko pop.
0: It's like a, a... it's like a Calibrimbor lawn ornament.
2: Yeah. You housing that Is it Celebrimbor? I can't really tell.
0: Well, no, I don't think it is. I think no, that's a that's mace. Not
2: a yeah, it's yeah, a mace, thought, not a hammer. I thought it was a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so who is this guy
0: yeah um this is the guy we couldn't figure out wasn't it? the dude with the mace yeah that I was thinking might be um right this is the statue that's full size at Gwingris right the one which I was su- suggesting might be uh, might be Curden before he grew out the beard
2: Oh, I, yeah! I missed that
0: one. He's got stars yeah. in his field. It doesn't have the full, you know, countless stars of heaven's field going on. Um,
1: oh, I
0: like what? Huh? Yeah, but um, yeah.
2: His head ornament's a bit grim looking.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that. I mean, it's like
2: you guys like crown.
0: Right. It's, like, too short for me to see closely.
2: Yeah. I think it's, like, a
0: circlet with, like, gems and such, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it just looks ominous and stone. Yeah. And his weapon looks like he's carrying something with a long, evil spike on the end of it. Maybe the headband's supposed to be symbolic of Holly, since so that seems to be a big thing. I mean.
0: It's not a scepter, is it?
2: It's a scepter. It's just, it just comes to a very sharp point at the end.
0: does. One. That wouldn't make this a Lendel, would it, with the Elendil mirror on his brow?
2: Maybe. Is he known to come from here?
0: I mean, normally you'd expect a Lendel to be carrying Narsil in a statue. Yeah. But if it's, um, um but if it's uh, designed instead to show him in kind of kingly stature, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It would have the Uendomir not dressed in full armor. I mean, he's clearly wearing clothing, not armor. So that would explain him not being shown, but he has a shield for some reason. Which doesn't seem to have any device on it at all. You'd expect there to be a Numenorian star somewhere in the picture. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. Nothing.
0: But if that's the scepter of Annuminas that he's holding, which it could be, right? No. no. The game Why has not?
3: a different model. The game has a different model for it. Oh.
0: The scepter of a Numinous, right? The walking. Yeah, you you stage. will yeah. see
3: it eventually in in the story. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, but the question, though, would be, did they have that model at the time that this statue was designed? Because I've seen inconsistencies of that kind before, which is perfectly understandable over the 87 years or however long it's been that Lotro's been running. Um, do you
3: remember the Hobbit? Yeah, I do. In Rivendell?
0: I do. I do. Did, the walking do you see stick. There? Yeah. I, don't,
3: I, don't rem- I haven't done that question. So I don't, I don't remember
0: that there. clearly enough. But that, that would be the contemporaneous reference. I'm just saying, gem on the brow, circuit on the brow. It's giving me, it's giving me, you know, Elendo, uh, uh, giving me a, 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 a Numenorian vibes. That's it. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I'd agree, Numenorian. I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. especially since I just can't think of what elf it could be. It's we see yeah, Celebrimbor with his hammer and this is not that.
2: We yeah, see I mean, some...
0: Gilgoad with his spear and this doesn't seem to be and this is not that. Um, yeah. But it still doesn't explain why he's a miniature and why he's in the middle of nowhere here. This perfectly preserved little um, you know, like garden gnome version of Elendil. Um yeah, I'm gonna
3: say that's half orc
0: shenanigans or something. Half orc Somebody's
3: shenanigans. D and forgot to paint their minis. I don't know.
0: Right. Well, it's <laughs> well, it would be. That... Yeah, big mini, but okay. Uh, and there's another one over there. Okay. Yeah. Right. there's
3: eight of them. That's a whole quest. Oh, it's yeah, a, there's quest. a whole quest. Yeah, and they're all the same.
0: Are they? Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, you little lawn
2: ornament
0: I don't remember it's been too long since I've done oh. completionist Eregion oh yeah I've
2: done Eregion a, a was done like before I moved to this county it's like it's been a while
0: oh my goodness look at this you see what this is right
2: uh it's a boat launch.
0: no it's a water slide obviously <laughs> <laughs>
3: Okay, San Diego's so football
2: rules?
0: Right uh, down into the river.
2: Yeah.
0: Look at that. Clearly. Clearly a water slide.
2: So elves are like otters now, huh?
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Gotcha. Float around. Yeah. Eat some clams.
0: I, I... Yes.
2: So you think like this is like some sort of spa or resort?
0: It must have been. Must have been. This is clearly an Elvish tourist spot, and that's why the bridge. It makes perfect sense now, right? Why would you make a bridge that you can see for miles? Advertising, right? Yep.
2: You know, it's like. Why would you have tiny collectibles everywhere?
0: It's this, and you've got tiny collectibles. It's the signature. It's the signature. um, uh, You know, landscape piece around here. Like you'd, you'd see this from a long ways off. Right, Kendall, exactly. The statue's from the gift shop, I, I, I think. Yeah. And so you've got, you've got the water slide. You could have some boating. Um, yeah. You've got this, like, I don't know what it is, a little spa feature fountain thing over here. But it's clearly not functional.
2: Yeah, what did we always call these? Nolder an and Elves architecture? Remember what we called it before?
0: Party houses, right?
2: Party houses. We called it the party elf
0: architecture. The, the party elves, yeah. up to its name. Exactly. Exactly. Theory- it's not the
3: only one either. There's one on the other side too. Yeah, are there Water slide, you spot mean? on about this. Yeah. No, flower. Um, oh, okay.
2: The clamshell guy. Yeah, oh, the clamshell. clamshell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, maybe that was like a bath or a bathhouse, swimming pool.
0: Yeah, I think they were really wanna- going. So, so the real question is, which do you think came first, the amusement park or the truck stop? Because I think it might have been the truck stop came first. And then since this was a popular place for elves to stop for a brief, you know, stretching their legs for a, a few decades, they were like, and in the meantime, water slides. Um, so, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's usually how it works. They had, they had a place to stop and then the architecture built up over it. It's like when you make a sidewalk out of, a, a, out of an area of ground that people keep crossing so it turns brown. Yeah, letting people do your research for you, and then you're just building on that.
0: Yeah, I think people did live here though, because it is big
2: enough. Yeah. It is
0: big enough, and there's lots of. Oh but there's somebody that nobody can withstand in there. That's um, that's very scary. Um. Uh. Yeah, this now this is just weird. Like this big fat tower in the middle of this courtyard like This is just odd right here.
3: They're really big on the bricked up doors though.
0: Yeah, yeah, they it's a um again I think it's a it's a safety code issue at this point, like it's, you know, the interior has been condemned, but
2: Maybe it's a way of winterizing that's taken away in the summer.
0: Yeah. But this place gets
2: mighty cold this close to the mountains. Even if the elves don't feel the cold, they probably don't enjoy it much.
0: Yeah, so Elvish Vegas. I can kind of see that. A little more widely distributed over here. Are the petals... Is one of the petals collapsed or just, no, it's just broken off?
2: Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, this It's another fountain thing.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can get inside. And this one has a stone
0: floor, yeah. Yeah, it does have a stone floor. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Swimming pool? And. Hotel? Yeah. Yeah. Something
0: like
2: that.
0: It's a petal still? Yeah. Exactly. Something, ah. something like that. <laughs> something like oh. that, Kendall.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, and then we got some outlying towers over here. And more... Boy, it really kind of...
2: It's a bit sprawling. There,
0: there was a substantial quantity of expansion
2: yeah, here. Yeah, this is practically a campus
0: at this point. <laughs> you, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I think... I think they started on the far side, which, again, would seem, since the majority, not only the majority of the larger buildings, but all the most concentrated buildings are on the other side of the stream, right, the north bank of the stream, Um, which also supports the theory that the truck stop came first, right? Yes. Uh, So first they built the truck stop. Then they built the attractions, and they just started kind of small over there, right? Um, And then... I think the bridge must have been, probably, the bridge was built when it came under new ownership, right? So, like, the originals were just like, yeah, we'll just have a few tasteful, um, you know, party houses and stuff. And, hey, a water slide, right, over on that side. But then somebody else was... um, somebody else was like you know they then it came under new ownership and they're like no 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 what we need is an extended campus right and in order to um you know solemnize the opening of the south wing of the amusement park um they built a huge enormous bridge to attract uh people i think that's it makes perfect sense yeah i can i can i can see it all now but it's Right, but see, as so often happens, you know, with this sort of extended vision, it never really kind of came together. You can see how ambitious they were, right? I look how much more far-flung things are over here, right? All all the way sort of scattered down, but it never totally filled in, right? It never...
2: I'm going to say they started with extra guest lodges, and we're going to do more later.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, kind of privacy bungalows down there and everything, but... The
2: top-tier, the the top-tier rooms. The, the sweets, yeah, more elite guests, right.
0: Stunned duck says it does. It seems weird, but w- you know, then the royal the Royal Gorge Bridge in Colorado was built exclusively to bring tourists. It doesn't connect anything to anywhere, right? I, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um uh,
2: realm, realm did, realm <laughs> built attractions like this? Can we spell attractions like this? Uh, trying to yep. impress to come to your place and spend money is a pretty
0: ancient concept. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, right, so some of these fun-loving Noldorin of the Second Age were like, I have a vision for the greatest party attraction site of all time. Right? This this is going to be where all of the Noldor are going to come. Gwingaris is going to become a ghost town. Right? Um you know they're 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 all going to come here and for a while oh yeah tra la la oh yeah absolutely absolutely there was some um i mean that was doubtless you know the tra la song may well be you know a remnant of of you know one of their one of their jingles for this place i think i think yeah la lally land yep that's, it. <laughs> um, that's yeah. I, teacher, I, I, it I sang of bridges <laughs> of bridges huge and bridges huge there grew exactly exactly yep, yep um barred vegas that's exactly it exactly the
2: it was prohibited. the reason no one knew,
0: <laughs> but the amenities were fabulous uh yeah uh it's great okay so now I think we've totally nailed it. I think we understand this place inside and out now um including the mini statues which are clearly left over from the gift shop so um yep yeah yep. absolutely okay well that was Good. it that was, that was it that was a, that was that was, a, that was a that was a useful session so from here we still have to stay on the west side lest we approach plot areas that we haven't talked about in the book yet. Um, but uh, we'll be headed down towards Mirabelle next time. All right. But we'll start off at, we'll start off at the truck stop again and, uh, and head down. So, Excellent. yeah. Cool. Awesome. Very good. Well, thank you, everybody. That was, I feel, that was, that was super satisfying. I think we completely figured this out. Um yeah. Yeah, very good. All right, thanks everybody. I will see you guys next week. Yeah, I'll see you next week. I might not be able to be here the week after, but I'll let you guys know for sure next week. But I'll definitely be here next week. All right. Thanks everybody. Have a good Bye. night. See you next week. Bye now.
2: Bye.